There you go. Good morning, Pennington. My name is Mary, and our scripture reading for today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. We're reading from the ESV. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever should draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So excited to be in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Before we do, I want to give one final encouragement. Next week is our baptism Sunday. We are going to do it up. It's going to be fun. It's going to be explosive. The front row is going to get wet. It's going to be everything. Uh, But a true encouragement, if you have come to faith, Um, recently or at any point in your life and not been baptized, I want to strongly encourage you to take what God has done in you personally and individually and bring it external and bring it communal. We want to celebrate with you. You're not just baptized into salvation. You are baptized into the church of Christ. You are baptized into this community. And we want to celebrate that journey, that transformation God has done with you. And so we'll be running that class to the left in the offices next door. Growth track will be to the right if you're new in the last few weeks. But I would love to walk you through that. I'll be running the class and I'm just excited to walk you through, talk through what baptism is about. So if you're on the edge of it at all, consider this my little push to you to take that step and journey with us. The second thing is This upcoming Wednesday is our Thanksgiving dinner. Here, this room will be transformed into two long tables. We'll be sharing what we're grateful for, what God has done in our lives together. And you can, with your smartphone, sign up to either of those to be baptized or to join us for the Thanksgiving dinner or and join us for the Thanksgiving dinner this upcoming Wednesday. If you're planning to, please, please, please sign up and let us know what you're bringing, what food, drink you're bringing with you because that's really important for us to be able to coordinate and have enough for everybody and also to not have too much, which is what happened last time. And we had Mountain Dew for days afterwards. Uh, it's been a minute since I've not had Mountain Dew in this building. So um, make sure you sign up. Let us know. We would love to just celebrate this Thanksgiving season. We are, I am thankful for each of you, for what you've brought into this church body. And we want to celebrate that together. We are into Hebrews chapter 11. This is the longest chapter in the entire book. This is probably the most famous chapter of this letter to the Hebrews. Has the famous uh, hall of faith heroes listed out in here. And we're going to take this journey together. I want to first acknowledge that throughout this last week, during my preparation and prayer and meditation, I also listened to like at least four times a sermon from about a decade ago from Tim Mackey about Hebrews chapter 11. And so a lot of his ideas probably have made their way through into this message. And I want to give Tim his credit there. Um, Second, 
If you have been on this journey through Hebrews with us, we are rounding the corner to finishing out this letter. And if you've missed any of the weeks, you can go back and listen. Elizabeth shared a fantastic sermon last week, encouraging us to keep pressing in and to do it communally here together as a church body, as our response to what Jesus Christ has done. These last three chapters are the response to what the author has laid out for us about Jesus. Jesus is so much better than anything else we can rely on, and so rely on Jesus. Lean into him, hold on to Jesus. That is the crux of this letter. In chapter 11, we are looking at faith. What does it mean to be a person of faith? What is faith? How does it work? And I want to quick reference a modern poet and philosopher, Taylor Swift. In her most recent album, has a line that captivated me where she says, what, what's the reason or what's the cause of this problem in my life? Is it because a bird flapped its wings on the other side of the planet or is it because I didn't pray? Two contradictory ideas. Is it random chaos as to why I'm in this situation or is there a grand design and a creator looking over that I didn't align myself with? two very different ways of thinking about each individual situation. The question is, what do we believe? What do we believe about this world? What do we believe about our existence and our place in it? This is what the author is driving home in Hebrews chapter 11. I've laid out a lot of doctrine for you. I've laid out a lot about who Jesus was and is and the power of what he is continuing to do. But now the question is, what do you believe about that? How do I see that lived out in your life? He uses the word faith. Now, faith is a very churchy word. Um, it's, you know, right up there with sanctification and holiness and tarrying. So what does faith actually mean? I'm going to use an illustration that I think gives some clarity to what faith is. You throw up that first photo here. This is uh, Main Street, Pennington. Um, I think last year or two years ago um, when we had snow. And this is, I think, about mid-February. This is what Pennington looks like. If you're like me, um, this is a great time of year. I love it. I don't mind being cold. I like getting out there in the snow. Everything feels peaceful. But I think for most people, by make March of winter, you're ready to be done. I will say, how many are kind of already tired of the fact that it's dark at 4 p.m.? Yeah, I could do without that. I could do without the, the darkness in there. There is a period in the middle of winter, where it can begin to feel like summer's never coming. I forgot what the sun feels like. I, I can see the sun in the sky, but it doesn't seem to do anything, and it's only here for like a minute as it rises and sets while I'm all at work or while I'm in class, and I don't see it when I'm driving, and I don't see it when I'm driving home, and it doesn't seem to produce anything, heat or otherwise. It's just cold all throughout. And there begins this longing, is summer ever coming? We're living on the other edge of that. We see winter coming. Right now, we can feel it. Is summer going to come? Now, what you can do here is you can be a middle school boy. And what I mean by this is a middle school boy, and I have plenty of them in my neighborhood that I like to joke with, in the middle of winter, it's not cold, bro. I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt. I got my tank top on. I'm not cold. You're cold. And they're shivering, trying to muscle their way through. And if summer is never coming, 
That's what we gotta do. At some point, we gotta, we gotta live in it. I gotta survive in this. But we all know, and sorry to my neighbors, that that's nonsense. That's insane to just put on shorts and a t-shirt and pretend like it's not cold, pretend like it's not dark. But what if there is evidence that winter is ending? What if there is a reminder of that? Anybody just by shouting it out. And this sermon today will be three points of interaction. Right now, what is the first flower to give us evidence that winter is ending? Anybody know? Crocus. It is the crocus. Put that up there. This is a shot of the crocus breaking through the snow. What happens is when spring is coming, the crocus is first. Breaks its little head through. Maybe it's purple. Maybe it's yellow. Maybe it's red. It's breaking through. And then what can happen is it can snow again anyway. That doesn't deter the crocus. It's sitting there covered in snow. It's coming. And when we talk about faith, faith and hope specifically, hope is the belief that in the future, summer's coming. The crocus is the faith reminder that it's coming. I'm not just blindly hoping that one day it's coming. I have evidence right here. There's evidence in the ground that winter is not forever. There's evidence in the ground that I can see that summer is coming, that spring is beginning. It may still be cold. It may still be dark. It may still be very, very wet. But summer is coming. The sun is coming. The author of Hebrews is telling us in Hebrews 11, summer is coming. It's coming, and the resurrection is the crocus flower reminding us that death hasn't won, reminding us that all is well, reminding us that healing is possible and here, and ultimately the healing of all of this is coming in the resurrection. The life, death, and resurrection is the crocus flower breaking through the snow to tell us spring is coming. Spring is here. So hope is the belief of something to come that we cannot yet grasp. Faith is the present evidence of why we believe in that hope. If you want it clearer, the author of Hebrews here in chapter 11, verse 1, gives us the only direct, concrete definition of faith in Scripture. This is the clearest someone's going to be about what faith is. And the author defines faith as this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How many of us is that kind of confusing? <laughs> it's a little confusing. The author of Hebrews uses really poetic language. Let's look at it in a few translations. Let's put them up side by side. We just read that in the ESV. And I'll give you a little Bible background real quick. Um, the, the Bible is authoritative, trustworthy. We stand on it. The Holy Spirit has guided it and guided it for thousands of years to be God's declaration of who he is and the plan he was running and that we would know Jesus Christ. But there are translations and people translate words differently and sometimes they can mean different things. When a translation is really, really bad, the Bible community will usually make that pretty clear. And that's not something that we should be using. But inside of scriptural translation, there is some nuance in how people translate the Greek or the Hebrew that it's written in, sometimes Aramaic, into the English we know. Here's three different, four different, ultimately. Sorry. 
Four different translations of the same thing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence, confidence, and assurance, pretty similar to the ESV. And then the certainty for a proof of things not seen. And now there's two basic ways these are being translated, two streams. One is that faith is an assurance or a confidence that happens in the head. It's a confidence in what I believe. It's assurance. I have faith. I believe this wholeheartedly. I'm wrapping my head around it. I'm solidifying myself on it. The NLT and the King James translates it this way too, is to show the reality. That's experiential. That's very different. It is either something I'm thinking about or it's something I'm experiencing. Perhaps it's both. An experience I walk into, a thought process I'm thinking and reflecting on. How do we live that out? Faith is confidence in my head. It's substance, a reality I live in. So I think we can say, with some confidence from reading Scripture and from the author of Hebrews, that faith is something that begins in the mind with thought. What do I believe about this? But also, faith is something that needs to be experienced and then lived in and lived out. How many here are feelers? If you're a feeler, just by a show of hand. Like, you feel things first, you go with your heart, your emotions. How many of you are thinkers? I have to think through it, I have to process it. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a thinker on the spectrum. Even though my job is very much feel, I lend towards the thinking. We are going to see a little bit of how that faith plays out. And the author of Hebrews will show us some examples. Faith is the reasoned belief in a hope that cannot yet be seen. It's not empty faith just jumping into something. It's not faith unreflected on or unconsidered. It is faith with a reason, that we believe in Jesus because there is a reason to, that we believe that all of this is on purpose and not random accident because there is evidence in why that is the case. There is reason behind it. If we have what is known as blind faith with no reason, I'm gonna be honest, that's called stupidity and ignorance. It's not a real belief system. Why? I don't know. Then why do you believe in it? If it has actual consequences, to your life, and you have not examined and thought and reflected on it, we know how we view that. We view that as foolishness. The author of Hebrews is not describing faith as foolishness. It's not something stupid because we can't understand the world. It is a belief set in reasons why we believe it. He has spent Ten, or she has spent 10 chapters, ten, nine and a half chapters, giving us evidence why Jesus is worthy to be believed in. Let's look at some of the examples. Gives us the hall of heroes, all these faith examples. We're not going to walk through all of them because this is a very long chapter, but we will pick out some. Let's look at one in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It is by faith that Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. If you know the story of Sarah, she was Sarai, she was Abram's wife. 
God promised Abram to create a blessing for the whole world through his family. He would bless his family, and through his family, he would bless the whole world. The author of Hebrews clearly lays out that happened through Jesus. But first, they had to bear a child in their late 80s, in their upper age, produce a child. They did not believe that was possible, but God said it will be possible. So famously, Sarah laughs because it's so outlandish. And then there's a really fun moment where God and Sarah argue about whether she laughed or not. And God's like, yes, Sarah, you laughed. She goes, I didn't laugh. And God goes, yes, you did. Um, Weird little story of back and forth between Sarah. But Sarah believed in God's ability to produce a child, not at random, but because there is evidence already of this God being faithful. It wasn't random. Sarah could look back and say, This God called my husband and I from the land we were born in Ur to travel a great distance to this new land in Canaan and that in this land there would be fruitfulness and blessing for us. And that was true. He promised us that and it came true. And then when other groups came to attack us or take from us, we prayed to our God and he protected us and we had victory and triumph over them. He promised to protect us and then he did. Sarah doesn't believe that God can produce a child in her late 80s for random reasons. She had evidence to look back on that God was faithful. The Hall of Faith heroes aren't people who randomly chose to believe in nonsense. They believed a God who demonstrated himself as faithful. Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, the author continues. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham considered. He reasoned. This story is famous, we've seen it, of Abraham walking up with Isaac. Isaac is probably a teenager, maybe even in his early 20s, not a young child. So walking and quite possibly this awkward silence between him and his dad as to what's happening here. But Abraham walked his son into an ultimate and terrifying test because he reasoned that God would be able because God had shown himself faithful in the past. He had already had Isaac. God promised to Sarah and to Abraham that he would produce even in their old age. And they were like, that's crazy, but God did it. So if God is challenging me now to give up that son, I already have evidence that he is faithful and can perform miracles. So even though it seems drastic and terrifying, I believe the miracle that either God will make a way out of this, or even if I kill my own son, that the God I'm following has the power to raise the dead. What God had done, this is faith and hope. That faith is the assurance of things not yet seen, is the confidence of things hoped for. What God had done for Abraham, bring him to Canaan, produce an heir, was the assurance of the things hopeful that God would not take that son away from him now. Continuing, Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 26, we get to Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses' faith was a historical tradition that Moses had faith in God. And Moses, even at this young age, remembered that the people he was born out of, that God had been faithful to their fathers. It's why in, Mo- in Exodus chapter 3 through 6, it's why God references to Moses in Exodus 3 verse 6, why he references to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because he knew that Moses would think back and say, yeah, he was faithful to them. He did follow through on his promises to them. So if he is calling me now to take a faith action, I can reason that this God is worthy of following. It's not random. It's not thoughtless. It is reasoned faith. There is a reason why I can trust in this God. To use verse one again, what God had done For the Israelites, for Moses, he had blessed his ancestors. He had fulfilled the promises to his ancestors. Was the assurance of the thing hoped for in freedom of his people. That regularly we see God reminding them through the crocus flower that winter is ending. That there is evidence here to trust your hope in. They reasoned that God was good. So this draws us to the point. Consider the evidence. If you are someone who has been exploring faith, and maybe you've been in the church a long time, or maybe you're a teen, and you've grown up in the church, or a college student, and you've walked through, and you've heard other people's story of faith, but you yourself are asking, do I really believe this? Is this something I can actually stand on, identify on, build my life around? This story of a creator God who sent his son to die for me, that conquered death, that I am called to live by him and to trust in his call and his way, can I believe that? If you're asking those questions, I'm telling you, you are in good company. If you've never asked those questions, maybe this is an opportunity to do so. Why do I come here every Sunday? Why do I watch these online videos? Why do I open this scripture? What do I believe about who God is and what Christ is doing? To ask questions about your faith is simply to grow in maturity of faith. It's growth. It's not decline. It's growth because God is real and Christ is worthy of examination. And we should be a community that welcomes people in to ask those questions to explore who Jesus is, and to examine, can I place and build my life on him? There are four tools that we use to explore. There's scripture, the evidence that has been laid out for us thousands of years ago. There is our church communities, the tradition of what we've believed, what people have written and taught us, and prayer exercises, and the community around us. There is the reasoned thought of does this make sense? Is God moving? And then there is our experience, the experience of one another. Paul gives us an encouragement to this. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He lays it out. Literally, he says, if you don't believe this or you're struggling with this, ask somebody who was there. Let's see in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8, Paul, another author saying, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Someone told me about Jesus. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. What's Paul saying? I know that what I'm telling you is hard to believe. That God put on flesh and was a man and walked among us and taught and healed and then let humans kill him on a cross and that his one death set us all free from death and sin and shame and that on the third day not only did he set us free but he conquered death literally by rising from the grave i know that that sounds crazy but you don't believe me go ask someone who was there go ahead go try they're still alive he's saying the people who were there are alive go ask them it is not a faith without reason He's saying there are reasons. People saw it. They experienced it. He truly did rise from the grave. He lived and he taught and he loved and people can tell you the story of what that was about. And we now, 2,000 years later, can't go and interview those 500 people, but we can read the stories that they passed down, shared down, vetted and recorded for us about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. You don't believe me? You can read the story and the evidence for itself. The resurrection is the assurance that death and chaos will one day end. It is the assurance that all that we suffer, that all that hurts us, that all that divides us will one day be conquered. It is the assurance that the worst tool of torture and death imaginable by the most powerful nation to spread across Europe and Asia, the cross itself, a tool of humiliation and pain would be used to bring healing and redemption and life. It is the evidence that the thing that is most terrifying for all people, actually evidence says it's public speaking, but after public speaking, death itself, the ultimate Chaos has been overcome by Christ's resurrection. And that his resurrection is the crocus flower that tells us there is a resurrection plan for each and every one of us. That there will be a day where he will come and redeem and remove and it will never snow again and daylight savings, God bless, will be over and the sun will be up at the right times and we'll be warm and not have to dress in 19 layers that we won't have to suffer through the cold of violence, death, division, and sin. The resurrection is the evidence of the good things that are to come and the reality that they're here already and we can point to the resurrection. Okay, we're going to do a simple, stupid little exercise. Um, wait, before Andrew, let me just set this up. Is there a stool behind me? I saw some of you looking around me. No. No matter how much I tell you that I believe there's a stool behind me, that'd be really foolish if I was like, no, you guys are telling me there's not. I believe with all that is within me, that there is a stool behind me and I have it in my head and I have it in my heart and I believe it and I'm gonna sit down on it without looking around. I have no evidence that there is a stool behind me, but I'm gonna sit on it. What would that be? 
Foolish, right? All right, Andrew, you could do your work now. And just for the sake of the argument, I am not going to look. And I'm going to trust right now in an exercise. Okay. <laughs> Is there a stool behind me? Yeah. Yes? Okay. I can't see it. I'm not going to touch it. I am going to trust in the evidence. <laughs> now you've got me worried <laughs> that you had to literally adjust. All right. Now I have less, so. <laughs> I, I am going to trust in the evidence of you that there is a stool behind me. And the testimony of others, the community around us, is evidence that the community that followed Christ, the tradition of 2,000 years ago, recorded down their experience, recorded down what they saw, and then lived and died under the conviction that what they wrote was true and worthy of giving up their life, and they recorded it for us to still have. And then we have the tradition of the church around us that while I may not have experienced yet a breakthrough area in prayer or God speaking to me, but many of you have and can testify to me that God is experiencing experiential and real and you have touched him and tasted him and heard from him and I may not be there yet but I can trust in the testimony of you right all right I'm gonna sit now okay <sighs> that is the most applause for the least I've ever done <laughs> thank you also that was scarier than I thought it was gonna be and this moves to our final point. Faith is not nonsense. Faith is reasoned. But faith begins in reason and is completed in action. Now, faith is not just thought. Faith is not what you think about something. That's belief. That's not faith. That's belief. That's a mental exercise. Faith, and it becomes faith when it is acted upon when it is lived out, when there are consequences to what we think because we are living in the understanding of that reality. It becomes faith. Faith is first reasoned in our head, then it is moved into our body as we live it out. I'll give you an encouragement once again, if you have not been baptized, it is the perfect demonstration and exercise of faith lived out. That what has begun in your mind, that yeah, maybe this Jesus thing is something for me. That yes, I, I am experiencing his presence and his power, and I want to now embody it before people that I do believe this. This is my last push to you to sign up, be baptized, take what is happening in your mind, and then live it out into your body. Faith is not just reason. It doesn't end at thought. Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight. The author says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Faith is action. Faith is activity. Faith is obedience. Abraham practiced what another biblical author, Paul, calls pistis, is the Greek word, which is a Greek word that we don't have quite the English for, but it's the word faith that is belief that is activated or faith that is acted upon. 
pistis, to believe something and to trust in it, that I believe that there is a chair there, and so I sat on it. If I had just stood up here and told you all after you had testified that the chair was there and I had said, you're right, the chair is there, exercise over, that would have been really disappointing, right? You wanted me to sit on it and I was trusting that on live video, you didn't want me to look a fool. And so it was acted upon. Our faith is faith when it's activated. That Abraham can say, I don't know what the outcome will be, but I trust based on the evidence I have already seen. And for us to ask ourselves, what are the hopes that we seek and where is God calling us in that? How do we live that out? We live with a hope that death can be overcome that it can be and it will be in the resurrection. And the crocus flower is that one person has done it in Christ Jesus. And that it transformed the entire planet. And I'll give you evidence of it. What's today's date? It's 2022. How do we know that? Because Christ died and resurrected 2,022 years ago, give or take 30 years, and that it has changed how we understand life itself. One person who conquered death, who was God. We live with a hope that justice will be done. Even if we don't see it in our lifetime. Even if it's injustice for my whole life. That I never get that apology I wanted to receive. You might not. Most of the time, you probably will not. That we live in conditions and circumstances and institutions that are unjust, that those who have power love to hold on to power, and that's not fair. That those who are without are exploited and used, that's not fair and it's wrong. But that we believe in a God who will return and bring justice to all injustice that has been done. Amen? That what has been done wrong to each and every one of us will be righted. Amen? And also that the wrongs we have done to others will be covered by the blood of Christ Jesus. Amen? That we believe in a hope that we will be completely forgiven and accepted by the one who has created us because of the blood of Christ Jesus that freedom from sin can be found, that we are worthy of love, and that hope is all that matters, and that hope is in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you with a few things this morning. As we are rounding out Hebrews, we have one more sermon and one more chapter of Hebrews. I'll challenge you, what does your faith look like activated? What activity is God calling you to? How to live out that faith? We, in following Christ Jesus, are called to forgive when it's irrational. When the rest of the world says, no, you were wronged. You need to hold them accountable. The fact that Jesus Christ doesn't hold me accountable. The fact that he covers me with his blood. And that in the resurrected day, the hope of the future, I will stand pure and clean because of Christ Jesus. I will live contrary to this world and say, I will not hold injustice done against me over anyone. I will pray and I will forgive. And I will love and I will show grace and I will embrace them back. 
that in a world where we love sameness and people who are like us and look like us and walk like us, that we can say in the body of Christ, because of his death and resurrection, we are all the same. And so I can have relationship with someone so different from me in such a different age category, life experience, background, because of what Christ has done for us. They say, how do you do that? We say, because I have a hope that one day every tribe, tongue, and nation will be standing and declaring the glory of our Lord Christ Jesus. So I live that out here. How do you deny what your body wants in its pleasure and its desire? How does a young person go without sex until marriage and until making a vow of mutual self-sacrificing love? I was a college student once and I had to go to health exams and the health examiner every time was like sexual activity and I'd be like, no. And she'd be like, really? And I'd be like, that doesn't seem professional. But it's so hard for the world to understand when because of Christ Jesus who said no to his own bodily wants and desires for the love he has shared for us that we deny our own bodily wants and desires so that they are done in the proper context that Christ has called for us through mutual giving, loving, submission. The world says that doesn't make any sense. When we avoid taking the next advantage at work, taking the next financial advantage, taking advantage of somebody else who doesn't know as much as we do in the circumstances we're in, but instead we choose to elevate them and work towards our own, against our own self-interests, that we say, I do it because of the cross. And I do it because the hope I have in Christ and the evidence I have by his resurrection. So I have two physical activities. First, again, is baptism. I can't say it enough. If you've already been baptized, I'm sorry. We are not super Anabaptists, and you can get baptized 16 times. Can't do that. But what you can do is next week celebrate like crazy. And then once we celebrate and pray and cheer over those who take that step, make the commitment that we will not forget about them and walk that journey of faith alongside them to say, I see you. You're one of us because of Christ Jesus and we walk this journey together. The second thing is literally to demonstrate with our bodies that we believe that Jesus Christ is alive and well we believe that his Holy Spirit is his present reminder that he is alive and well and making atonement for us every day. And we pray together. And we ask another church member, we ask an elder to pray over us. And we believe that when we pray for one another, that God is actively moving and working in us. And that I can reason and work to change my circumstances, but that coming before the creator of the universe in prayer is a quantifiable activity with concrete results of God moving and working for our good. And that when we pray, he is moving and working in us. And so in a moment, I will open up this altar space. I will invite some of our elders up here and we would love to just pray over you. If you are saying, I'm just struggling with what I believe, but I want to believe, I want to believe more richly, more deeply. We would love to pray with you for that. 
And if you're saying, I do believe, but there are just activities in my life I haven't seen myself changing or moving into, but I want to. I want to join a small group. I want to be able to pray for someone else. I want to share my faith with someone. I want to start tithing. I want to give to kingdom builders. Whatever it may be, we would love to pray with you that God is moving and working and birthing that in your life this morning. But if you could bow your heads and pray with me this morning. If you are in the room today, And you would say that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We've talked about faith and you can say, I am not a person of faith. I, I can't say confidently, but I want to. I want to take that step of faith. This morning, I would love, it would be my honor to pray with you, to guide you in that prayer of inviting Jesus into your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, we use this as a moment to recommit, to recenter what we believe about who our God is and who we are by his reflection. Pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you are the way to life eternal and freedom from sin and shame. I believe, Jesus, that you are God and you came and you put on flesh and you lived among us. You lived the perfect life. And you showed us what it is to love and care and heal. And then you died in our place on the cross for our sin and shame. You took the full weight of death and sin onto your shoulders and you died in our place. And on the third day, you conquered death and sin. You rose from the grave to life eternal. And you continue to make atonement for each and every one of us, that we can live free, that we can live confidently, that we can live lovingly, that we can live forgiven, and that we will one day live eternally by the resurrection you have promised. And our evidence is in the pages of this book and in the tradition and the history of the church that you did not stay in the grave, but you conquered it and rose again. You are our crocus flower, that spring is coming. And we trust in you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.